Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Yeah, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Beyond the Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Pabuda, joined today by our usual co host, Alex Boudreaux. And today we welcome entrepreneur, keynote speaker, philanthropist, author, financial advisor, and longtime Chicago Bear tight end, Desmond Clark, to the show. We chat all things football, paying it forward the way Shannon Sharp did for him in his early playing days, the importance of establishing a career after football, and all the great things he's been up to in both business and the community since his playing days, including the new book he just released titled Principles of Winning. Please be sure to subscribe and follow us on whatever streaming platform you use and give us five stars. Bruce, take it away. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time! Recording out of New York City, New York. Welcome to the undisputed greatest podcast in the world, Beyond the Brand! You'll probably love this. He's a Packers fan. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lo- love all Packers fans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like, I, like I told you, we just kind of start um, kind of, you know, upbringing, life, uh, go through, you know, football a little bit, and then we go into, like, the post-career. I remember you telling me a little bit about, you know, motivational speaking and things like that you're looking to get into. So, um, right. about all that, all that good stuff, too. So, um Start and take us through a little bit about your upbringing, where you're from, um, where your love for football kind of came from. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Memory lane. Just figure, now I'm just trying to figure out where to start. That was kind of like, <laughs> hey, just a, hey, you got this big wide open field. Like, just, um, yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in, in yeah, like, ask, like where, where do you want me to start? Like, to, High school, I, yeah. growing up in Lakeland. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I went to um, um, Kathleen High School. And, yeah, so let me let me just start off because I'm, I'm – um, yeah, it's kind of used to just being led to what, what specifically, mm-hmm. you know, what, you, what you're looking for. But, um, yeah, I grew up in Lakeland, Florida, went to Kathleen High School uh, uh, from what – graduated in 95 and uh, was a – Three sport athlete, either is football, basketball, uh, along with track, or I played baseball my senior year. I, I can't really say I played baseball. I was on the I was on the baseball team. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily think I, I played all that often. Maybe three games. Um, but yeah, uh, man, high school, high school for me was that time when I was just focused on trying to figure out what success was, and at that time. Success for me was all about taking what I was doing in high school as far as athletics and trying to get a college scholarship. Because back in those days, success was you graduate high school, you go to college, you get a good job. That's what I knew what success was. So I was fortunate enough and blessed enough to uh, get, a, get a college scholarship to Wake Forest University, play there for four years, did well enough at Wake Forest University over the course of that time. Um, left Wake Forest as an all-time ACC leading receiver and was drafted by the Denver Broncos in, in 1999 in the sixth six round uh, as a tight end. So that was the begin, beginning of the professional career and 
as you guys know, that, that lasted for 12 years and, um, yeah, and, and transitioning into the financial uh, world and still there, but a little different slant on it now, more insurance than financial advising. And yeah, here, here we are now, mm. what, 43 what, years after birth. <laughs> what led you to, uh, what led you to that decision to go to Wake Forest? Was, was there any other options or was that, was there like, what was the reason behind it? Yeah, there, there was a lot of options. Uh, there were a lot of options out there. Um, I got recruited by uh, multiple, multiple dozens of schools, but I went to um, five different visits. I went to Central Florida on a visit. I went to North Carolina State. I went to Virginia Tech, of course, Wake Forest, um, and I'm missing one. Um, I went to another, oh, Georgia Tech also. And what was the, I guess, the decision-making um, while I made that decision was more so that Wake Forest recruited me just as a receiver. I was an option quarterback in high school. All these other schools wanted me for to be, come in as an athlete, which means we're going to figure it out once you get here. Or like Georgia Tech as an option quarterback. And I didn't want to play option quarterback anymore. And then when you compare the schools, um, as far as like Virginia Tech and Wake Forest, which it, those are the two schools that it came down to, Wake Forest just was a far better school and Virginia Tech wanted me as an athlete. So with those two things, um, I chose Wake Forest over Virginia Tech just so I could play receiver, and it was a better school. Gotcha. And then talk to us a little bit. You know, you mentioned, like, your success there, but talk to us a little bit about the transition into the NFL from that level and some of the things you had to face. And I know uh, you were in a room – you were in a tight end room with, like, Shannon Sharp and a bunch of other guys. So t take me through that experience, what that was like. Yeah, man. Shannon Sharp, um, Dwayne Caldwell, Brian Ch Byron Chamberlain. So you're looking at one Hall of Famer and two guys that they made Pro Bowls within their career. So that transition was tough because when you are in college playing one position receiver and then going to the league and playing tight end, mm -hmm. and you're behind those three guys and they just won two consecutive NFL um, Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. uh, your confidence is not high. <laughs> um, so typically teams keep keep about three tight ends. And, um, you know, I was just thinking that all right, they, they have their three tight ends here. And um, so eventually I had to kind of reorient myself to not thinking about what, what positions they had, but what I was trying to create for myself and just get myself better. And once I flipped that switch to – not focusing on them and focusing on myself and just being the best that I can be at the time and just letting the chips fall where they may. I think that that's when I started to perform a whole lot better and control the things that I could control. And lo and behold, they kept four tight ends that year, which I don't think they had done um, in any of the previous years uh, before that. So, um, but it was tough mentally. And we all know it's tough physically to play in the NFL at, you know, I don't care if you, you're a rookie or a 12-year vet, but the, the mental part of the game, then you're trying to learn all of these new things. You're in a whole new atmosphere, mm -hmm. and you got these super-duper athletes that's, that's out there. The mental part of the game was, was like, super tough to, to get past. Yeah. What was it like going from, like, the transition to quarterback to receiver, then going to these – Big ass guys in the middle in the NFL <laughs> playing tight end, you know. Right. Like, 
it's, it's a totally different game. And, and I'm glad that I went through all of those transitions, going from quarterback to having to know the whole field, going to receiver, to understanding the perimeter, then going down to tight end. And now, like, like receiver is just you and the quarterback and maybe uh, uh, a linebacker that's walked out or a safety that's, you know, down in the box or something. So you only really got two guys that you really got to maneuver around and, and negotiate. When you're playing tight end, I mean, you got the defensive end, you got the linebackers, and you got the safeties all in that area. And the rest of the guys that's to the left or to the right of you, and now you got the offensive line that you have to be in uh, connection with, with with every play also. So it's it's a whole different game from, from that viewpoint. So you almost have to relearn a, a, a different game, different terminologies, um, and it's just it's it's just different from being out there um, out wide where you got all this space and now there's no space. Mm-hmm. You're in the midst of, of a lot of humanity that you got to negotiate and um, get through. And, and like I say, be in one accord with the rest of the, the offense. So um, it's like, I don't know if you guys ever took foreign languages, but it's like trying to learn one foreign language and then all of a sudden you got to switch to a to a different foreign language, yeah. you know, the next year, that's tough. Yeah. And I, I've, uh, I've talked to, we talked to a few people on the podcast and a few people off of it about the mental thing where it depends where some people, you know, they might experience it when they get to the NFL, somebody experienced it early on in college, somebody experienced it, especially for an athlete, but even just like people in general who, who maybe they had a different like social aspect in life in college and then they go to the real world and they're kind of back at the bottom of the totem pole. So is that, yeah. that kind of the mental thing that you're talking about, right? Where you like, you're trying to work your way up or, or you, it's almost like an uphill battle when you're like the new guy on the team or a new guy going into the real world and things like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I graduated, I graduated as a all time ACC all-time. league receiver. Right. And then, and, and then, then right. <laughs> and then now, Boom. Yeah. You have you have zero stats here. Mm-hmm. You are insignificant until you can can make your make an impact. Right. Um and then being a six round draft pick, you know, the chances of you making the team slim. Um and you know, just having to deal with you know, I that part of it wasn't that tough for me of kind of you know, you starting over and you starting at the bottom of the totem pole. It was just looking up the totem pole and trying to figure out how do I how do I continue to climb. That that was that was a tough part. You know, going into it, you you know that you're gonna start at the bottom of the totem pole. It's just how do you how do you ne- negotiate that and how do you get yourself up you know to the midway point so you can have some type of significance and be a contributor on on the team, um, especially a team like I went to that stacked that one position already. Um, yeah. That 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 was a tough part. So, so let me ask you a question. How how did you do it? Like how did you go about it to get to get to, to where you want to be? Um it wasn't something that I actively was aware of at the time. Mm-hmm. But what I did is I just focused on making myself the best that I can be. Mm-hmm. And that's all that's that's all anybody can do, right? And, and it was a scout that told me to quit focusing on, you know, Shannon Sharp and Dwayne Coswell and Byron Chamberlain and ask, and he said, I need to ask myself, how good do I want to be? And then focus on that every day, go out to practice with one thing that you want to get better on every single day. Cause as humans, you know, we try to 
try to get the big chunk. We try to move the mountain right now. Mm-hmm. Let's just pick up, and, and you can't do that. It's it's one of those things like that, like the compound effect. Every single day you work on something small, mm-hmm. but over time you just get better. And then, you know, by the time you're seven, eight years in the league, people think, oh man, you always been that great. Hell no. When I first got there, um, Bill Romanowski was tossing me all over the place. Mm-hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't block at all. I mean, um, but that's how I did it. Just that, that one little micro improvement every single day out on the football field and, and really being intentional and focused about what am I trying to get better at that day. Right. And you must have learned a lot from Shannon Sharp and all those guys, which you know, oh, yeah. helped you in the process. Yeah. Um, how was it like think, being with him in the, like the locker room, knowing what he is now and LeBron, go James and all that, <laughs> joking around? <laughs> yeah. And you probably heard Shannon Sharp talk. If you, if you watched that show, you probably heard him talk about this. He and it wasn't until I seen an interview that he was doing on All the Smoke. Uh-huh. And I got it. I was like, that's why he treated me so good. He told a story about when he was um, at practice. He was a seven-round draft pick playing receiver. And he was struggling with the playbook. And he asked one of his teammates, hey, what do I, gotta, what do I, what, what, what do I supposed to run on this? And the teammate purposely told him the wrong route. So he ran the wrong route, of course, got cussed out and, you know, got sent back to the sideline. And he said he told himself at that point, he'll never do that to somebody else. And he said, I've always tried to be the person that tried to help people succeed. And that was him when I was there. You know, anything that I asked, he was more than open to share, to help. Me being a smaller tight end, he taught me probably the best blocking technique that, that I've ever learned and that I used through my whole 12-year career whenever I had to block a bigger tight end. Um, but at the same time, that's Shannon Sharp. Like, he come in and he's just physically like, bam. <laughs> you just look at that dude and you're like, what the hell is he, you know, how, do, how does he get like that? And um, But just watching him and watching how he worked out, watching how he practiced, and how he just set the tempo um, in the weight room at practice and just in life in general, that one year that I was with him kind of set the pace for me throughout my whole career. Yeah. I think it's awesome that, like you, like, like the story you mentioned that he, he said before, but kind of like paying it forward, right? Like he never wanted to do that to someone else. So being there for a young guy like yourself coming into in a similar situation that maybe he came into being a late round draft pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, to hear that. And that's a common theme. Like we talk about it with a lot of yeah, our guests. Exactly is like asking for help and things like that. So that's why I was kind of curious if like how much you were picking his brain and other people's brains, just just trying to learn, you know, being the Yeah. And then um, learned a lot from them, from, from Dwayne Caldwell and, and Byron Chamberlain. I actually played all three years with Dwayne Caldwell. I only played one year with Shannon Sharp, two years with Byron Chamberlain. So um, I probably learned more from him. Just, he, I mean, his nickname was House. So he was a mammoth guy and just dominated blocking. So just because I played with him longer, I probably learned more from him than anyone else. But early on, I couldn't have asked for three better guys to be in a locker room, uh, in, a, in, a, um, in a room, a tight end room with, mm-hmm. to kind of uh, give me what it's like and what it should be like to have a group of tight ends together, how we should all fit as one. We all should be pulling together. Um, 
I don't think I could could ask for a better group than what I started out with. Yeah. See, that's why we love doing this podcast too, because we get to hear the behind the scenes and like we didn't know Shane Charwood is, is like that, like you're like that. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's yeah, great. It's also a common theme that we find a lot of our guests is paying for and asking for help is okay. And like in all aspects of life, you know, whether we've had athletes, we've had, you know, so like personalities on TV, we've had politicians, but they've all at some point or another have asked for help. And it's always been kind of paid forward, which makes you realize that maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe, yeah. You know, I think one of the best, I think one of the best comments that I've, I've ever received a uh, uh, best praise that I ever received was from Greg Olson. 2006, we went to the Super Bowl. I had like either my first or uh, second best year of my NFL career. They drafted a first round tight end the next year. And everybody, yeah, I don't know what people was thinking. You know, some people thought I was going to like spaz out or whatnot. But when he came in, the whole thing was he's on, he's on the team. And they, he was brought here to help the team, not necessarily take my job, but to help the team. Eventually, that was going to happen. He was going to be the new person. But I wasn't giving him the job. He wasn't just going to come take my – if he was going to take my job, he was going to have to earn it. But at the same time, I did everything that I could to help him be the best player that he can be. So now you fast forward. I don't know if this was 2017 maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in Carolina, and they drafted – they were talking about drafting a, a tight end high in the draft. Mm-hmm. And I read one of his interviews and it said, I'm going to treat this guy just like Desmond treated me when I got to Chicago. It was like Desmond didn't give me anything. I had to work for it. And he made me work hard for it. But what he did was teach me everything that he knew and made sure that I, I, I was the best player that I can be. And when he said that, I was like, thank you. That's, that's, that's like the best compliment that you can get um, to have somebody acknowledge that they understood that you were trying to help them. But at the same time, you know, you got to compete too. I'm yeah. not going to just lay down for you. Yeah. yeah. No, I was actually, I was just about to ask you about like the one year Miami, I was going to ask you about the Super Bowl run and then how that relationship was with Greg Olson. So I was trying to tie that together, but you, you got through it before me. Had, yeah. had a really good relationship. We, we made each other work hard. I knew, I knew he, eventually they were going to try to, you know, put him over me. But I was going to make it as hard as possible, but that had nothing to do with Greg because Greg was there just trying to do his job. Right. And and now we're teammates also. So now we have common goals. We're not enemies. We have common goals. We're trying to win every single game and trying to go back to a Super Bowl. So it would be in my best interest to make sure that Greg is equipped with everything that I can give him and that he's bringing to the table already. Yeah. Talk, talk to us a little bit about that year, that, that year where you guys made that run to the Super Bowl, like how that team was or how close you guys were with that. And Devin has That was a magical year. And, and I knew that year was going to be something special because in 2005, we got upset by Carolina. And you could just tell coming back in that offseason, people had an edge, edge to them. And we just had such a close unit. Mm-hmm. And that training camp, I, I actually had out my camera everywhere. And, and I put together a video of that whole training camp because you just knew that we were going to do something, you know, good that year. Um, and it really I, – and I just read something last night 
and it clicked for me. They talked they talked about how and they, they were talking about corporate America, how teams perform the best. And they say it doesn't matter if you have a whole lot of high achievers, A, B, C personalities, whatever it is, it's how well that team communicates with each other is going to determine how good they're going to be. And of course you need athletic ability for what we were doing, but that team was so connected and we were so together and we all moved in one direction um, all the time. You didn't have any dissension. You didn't have any locker room beef. You didn't have, um, you know, you just didn't have any distractions. And we did have something that was going on in locker room, which a couple things actually, but it never distracted because everybody knew what the goal was and what we was trying to accomplish. And that, that superseded everything else. Um, So I believe that's the reason why we were able to take that team, which, you know, is not the most talented team in the world and go to a Super Bowl, which we lost to a Hall of Fame quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that game. But I was going to say, I mean, yeah, like you're saying, like that that culture that you guys developed, it, it can go in all aspects of life too, which I'm going to get to when we start talking about post-football stuff for you, like how all this correlates and things that you learned along your path to get there. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's awesome. Like we, we talked to uh, Don Beebe. I'm not sure if you remember him. Yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah, uh, 82. And he, he, he went to yeah. How, yeah, he went to how many <laughs> Super Bowls and he and like that was something he talked about too, was just the culture and like that. Like you kind of said too that I mean there's gonna be beef and things like that too, but there's gonna be little, you know, scuffles and things. But I think that stuff almost brings you closer together too, having a little friction, right? Like button heads a little bit here and there. But like you said, you ultimately <laughs> you ultimately put that goal above everything else. Not a few things that I'm talking about. That that would have destroyed another locker room. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not in that particular locker room. But. <laughs> I, and I think when you, when and then you talk about culture, and I think Coach Smith he did a masterful job. And I always talk about this. He gave us so much autonomy. Like coaches didn't come into the locker room. Coaches were not on your back about, hey, did you lift weights today? Did you do this? Did you watch film? Did, no, he made it where you held yourself accountable and as a team we held ourselves accountable and if you couldn't get it done you didn't fit in if you wasn't a self-starter if you wasn't a person that hey i I know i gotta work out i'm gonna get my workout in i know i gotta watch film i'm gonna go watch film i know i gotta do all these things to help this team win so I'm, i'm gonna do it i don't need nobody you know looking over my back and checking on me um if you were not that type of person you didn't fit in and you you stuck out like a sore thumb so it was one of those things where he kind of gave us the boundaries and said, within these boundaries is your team. And, and I think because he treated us like that, we took ownership of the way that we went out and played, we, the way that we prepared as a team, as individuals. And I think corporate America football when you got people that's taking ownership of their own activity and their own responsibility, I think that's when you get the greatest results. You're, you're, ta- you're talking about accountability and, you know, people holding up to that standard. Mm-hmm. You guys aren't helping each other out. That could cause a little bit of friction as well. Oh, no. If, if, you, if you screw up too much, yeah, there's going to be friction, all right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
but we had such strong leadership um, in every at every position. We had leaders. We had Olin Cruz, who was a captain, um, offensive line, and we had other leaders with, with, within that offensive line. Um, Fred, uh, not Fred, um, Ruben Brown, who eight-time Pro Bowler, played on all those uh, Buffalo teams. Uh, we had Musa Muhammad out, outside with the receivers. I'm there with the tight ends. Thomas Jones there with the backs. Um, you know, our defensive line was stacked uh, with leaders like Adewale Agumye, Alex Brown, um, uh, man, and I'm forgetting, um, Tommy Harris. And then you go to the linebackers, you got Erlacher there. I mean, one of the best leaders of all time. Secondary, you got Peanut Tillman, you got you got um, Mike Brown, all great leaders. So we had leadership up and down our roster. So we didn't need a coach because if you screwed up, yeah, you had a bunch of guys there that were focused, that were going to hold you accountable. Some guys would literally try to kick your ass if, if you wasn't doing what you need to be doing. And if, and if it had to get to that point, you almost didn't want to be there because you didn't fit in and you felt the pressure and yeah, it, it was going to be tough on you. Yeah. Jimmy, uh, I'm just curious, random question here, but how well did you know Spice Adams before he was Spice Adams? Um, I forgot he played for the Bears. Not, not, not as well as, um, you know, his defensive lineman counterparts, but <laughs> you knew that that was there because he, he would do stuff like that in the locker room. Yeah. Um, not not to the point where he was dressing up like he dresses up all the time. <laughs> but like the dancing and stuff like that and, and just being hilarious, that that was always. That was always. And he just took it to a whole new level with the, the that was his name, Spice in the <laughs> locker room. That's so, yeah. so funny because like like when he blew up like a few years ago, I was like, yo, this guy's hilarious. Like even in the office and stuff, we make jokes about like stuff he says all the time. And then I didn't even I didn't really realize when when like he first got big that he was like he played football. Like I didn't even realize that he was in the NFL. And then you read about it and it's like, oh shit, like he's been, he he was in there for a little while. Like <laughs> And that just speaks to his talent for what he does now. Right. Like, oh, oh, he played in the NFL. Yeah. But he made he made a whole he transitioned <laughs> and made a whole new name for him. like this dude was playing in the NBA All Star game this year. I know. I know it's funny as dude, that. I, how how do you how how you how do you be six feet tall, <laughs> fat as hell, and play in the NBA All Star game? Like when I see him, I was like, this dude is on another level. <laughs> he's yeah. on another level. And then you, but then you see him play, and you realize he's in there just to make people laugh because yeah, exactly. he's doing like all this dumb shit the whole game. But <laughs> yeah, but, but that—that's his character. Right. So that's a good transition for for this. So like you said, he kind of found something that post-football he wanted to do. So talk to us a little bit about what you've been up to, what kind of inspired you to do that, and, like, what, what you're looking to do kind of going forward. Yeah, so so two things. You know, I, I'm in the financial world. I'm in the insurance world. And I'm in the motivational speaking world. So I'll start with the financial world. I, I, I was scammed out of $750,000 towards the latter part of my career. And that is really what spurred me to take control financially and learn about financial literacy and advising because I wanted to get to a point where I didn't have to, I don't have to listen to you or whoever tell me this is what I should do. I want to know for myself, this is what I should be doing. 
And so that led me to investigating and then eventually uh, working in the financial industry, which led to me learning about insurance, which led to me now co-owning my own insurance company and still uh, insurance agency and still doing uh, financial advising also. So it, it was all about, man, taking that tough lesson after I stopped wanting to kill the person that scammed me out of the money and <laughs> say, you know what, that, that money's not coming back. Yeah. So now what? Yeah. And, and the now what was, well, never let it happen again. Yeah. Um, and it's on, on the speaking end of it, I, I've been speaking since I was in college. Um, get to the pros, you know, they, they ask us to go speak to schools and places like that. But once I retired, um, I always had this idea about writing my writing a book because the story had been told so much about me and my dad. And I was always like, uh, it, it, it's always bits and parts missing. So that's when I set out to write my book. And as I'm writing the book, I started speaking more and more. And it wasn't until really last year, probably around this time, when I said I want this to be like a professional endeavor. And the reason why I made that switch from it's just being something that I do to something that I'm actively trying to do professionally is that I started seeing the impact that it had on people as I continue to tell the stories, as I continue to say, you know, tell about the principles that I've, that I've learned coming up and how they have helped me. And when you have a grown man crying, saying that, you know, what I said was impactful, you got to start thinking like, well, I probably need to start doing this a little bit more if it's having that type of impact on people. And I'm not going to run from it. It pays well also. Um, so uh, and when I wrote my purpose statement back in 2013, I said any ex expertise or resource that I have available to me, I want to use that to help people live better lives. And I have all of this wealth of experience from, you know, coming up kind of hard as a, as a young kid, overcoming that, not being super athletic, but still making it to the NFL and sharing those stories and everything in between um, that I share that not, it's not just sports, it's like real life stuff that, you know, when I tell it, the whole purpose is to um, help people be even better than they are. And that's what I've been seeing over the last six or seven years of doing this. Like people gravitate to one or two or three things they incorporate it into their life. Just like, you know, you guys see it all the time with Gary Vee. You know, he, he could tell a story about something that he's been through. Somebody has, has that aha moment and now they take that and run with it and create something with it. And that's probably why he's doing it all the time. Just, and that's the same reason why I continue to tell my stories just so somebody can take something that I'm, I'm saying and, and put it into their repertoire and hopefully, you know, just, just 10 times it, a hundred times it, make it better. Right. And like you, like you said, when like, like a grown man comes up to you crying at like after speaking engagement or something like that, does that like, does it mean something like, did that hit you? Like, 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 like a feel good thing. Like I'm really touching this guy's life. Like I'm really, not just motivating, but I'm really like impacting people and making a better place than it was. 
yeah, when that happened, I was shocked. Um, cause you know, as, as men, we don't, we don't do that type of stuff. Um, and it was more so like, damn, like what, what did I, like, what did I say? Like, what was it that made the impact? And, you know, it, it was just the storytelling. It was just telling the stories. Um, so the hardest thing to do is, is to make a man show emotion mm-hmm. and, and have, have that person actually express to you what something, how something affected them. So I'm thinking, okay, if that's doing, if that's having that type of impact on him, you know, what, what kind of impact is it having on everybody else? Mm-hmm. And like you said, that, that, that is a, a, that does make you feel good. Um, when you actually set out and do something, you don't know what return you're going to get on that. Um, but when somebody comes back to you, like I, I had a kid, uh, his mom came up to me, this was like 10 years ago, and said, hey, when you did your camp, you made such an impact on my son, you, like changed his life, his behavior got better, his grades got better. Like that's the return that you want to hear from the effort that you put out because that's what you're actually trying to create for people. Mm-hmm. Are there any motivational speakers that you kind of look up to? Yeah. Um, ET is definitely one. Yeah. Les Brown is, is one. Um, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the guy, Zig Ziglar. Um, you know, he passed a couple of years ago, but he, he was somebody that I listened to. There's a, a bunch of people that I listen to that I name of. Oh, we still, we got you. We can still hear you. And my earphones finally with that. Yeah, um, we heard it cut real quick, but you're good. Turn this one back in. <laughs> okay. We're going to just keep going from one to one. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that I listen to on on a daily basis that I, I'm just listening, trying to, because the motive, the motivational and influencer guy has to be influenced and motivated also. Um, so, I'm always reading or listening, trying to just keep myself motivated. But in the midst of doing that, you learn such great lessons from listening to other people. And then, you know, you still steal a few things and make them your own (laughs) process. Yeah. Had you ever had a chance to connect with any of those guys or like talk to them and and kind of just be one-on-one? I haven't. you'll probably be shocked to know that I, I like I, I could I could be a loner and I don't mind being alone to myself. Like when, when I get done doing the stuff that I that I do, I just want to sit back and do like just <laughs> be easy. So um and it's probably one of the things that I probably could be a whole lot further alone if early on in my professional career as being a football player and um, using those connections to get myself out there more, which I try to do now. Um, but in general, I'm a reserved guy, but I can turn the switch on when I'm in public. But just in general, I'm, I'm a reserved guy that I just play the background and kind of stay to myself. Yeah, that's another thing that we've talked to with a lot of people. We've had like, uh, even former like collegiate, like guys who never really made it pro but like had a big platform in college especially like with March Madness and things like that um like kind of using that platform while you have it like while you're as a player which 
I'm sure you could, like you just kind of said, like you, if, you know, when you were a player or something that I've heard Gary say before is like, when someone is like currently playing, it's going to be the most famous that they'll be during the time that they're playing. So that's that time where you should start planting the seeds to build something that you're looking to do going forward. And that was kind of the idea when we started the podcast was to kind of find ways, not just with athletes, people in general, but athletes specifically like to what you're saying, like using that platform and, and to take advantage of it while you're, while you can. You see more, more athletes taking advantage of it now um, because they understand that they are a brand within themselves. Right. Like Jay-Z taught everybody, I'm not a businessman. I'm a business man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and um, you, you see more athletes following that, that road now where you got social media and, and other avenues. Like when I started in 1999, social media was, didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you have all these different avenues where you can create a brand for yourself, create whatever image that you want to create for yourself. And you could do it all yourself um, if, if you want to. And the opportunities, once you create that brand, are so huge now. Mm-hmm. Any athlete that's coming into, you know, any league right now that has any type of prominence would be silly not to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And nowadays they have all those, you know, programs for post-career. There's none of those programs when you were playing. To, you know, to help you out for post career to look, you know, there, um, how do I want to say this? Uh, they were there. They were there. Yeah, let's just say they Not they were there, <laughs> but nobody was really talking about it. Nobody was really pushing yeah. it. This is this is the thing. When you were playing the NFL, they want you there to play football. Yeah. Right. You know, it wasn't a big thing about, hey, let's set you up for post-career. You're there to play football. We want you focused. We want you dialed in on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that stuff about post-career and all of that stuff, yeah, you could do that on your own time. You could do that when you're not when you're not on our clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had a, another former guy in the NFL, Josh Martin, we talked to. Um, who's now trying to build his brand like beyond football. He's kind of a journeyman, kind of just bounced around for a little bit. But um, yeah, he said that when he came into the league, they had, uh, which I think is kind of new. I, I don't think that, I don't know, maybe they were when you when you were a rookie, but they do like the financial literacy classes for guys who are just coming in, like they do like the, the rookie workshops and all that stuff, which I think is mm-hmm. awesome that they do all that because, you know. What year did he come in? Uh roughly i would say like probably definitely like probably like he's been in the league for eight years so 2011 okay Okay. yeah and and i would say yeah those those things probably started being more prevalent around that time because we had the same programs but i just feel like it was more of oh we did the program so we could check that off you know what i'm saying yeah um i think you know, we get fined for things like wearing the wrong hats in an interview, uh, having your socks not pulled up or having the wrong socks. Why don't we make like financial classes mandatory? And if you don't complete the financial classes for the first year or two that you're in the league, you get fined for that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
and we put more of an emphasis on that instead of just as a checkoff, oh, we offered this program, check that off. Um, but even with saying that, it's really up to the individual to take advantage of the program because it's there. Like I said, it's there, but there's not a whole lot of emphasis on it. Um, not when I played. And you could, you could say, okay, that's the player's fault and you'll be right. And then you can also say, um, yeah, it's there, but nobody really pushes it, which, and like me being a, uh, a, a business owner, like I'm all about making sure that my people are taken care of, like trying to develop them to be as best as they can be because when they become as best as they can be, it's only going to make the company better. So that's kind of how I look at it. I don't, I don't know if the, the, the owners and the upper echelon of the NFL look at it that way. Yeah. Where do you think the change happened? Do you think it was like something like social media changed that way or, you know, more of the injuries, you know, CT coming in? It, I think there's a lot of, a lot of that. I, I think um, one of the things when all of the stats start coming out about 75% or whatever um, are either in bankruptcy or, or whatever, two years after um, they retire. When you start hearing that enough, you you become more aware. Mm-hmm. It's like, I just take it back to like when Magic Johnson said that he had HIV in 1992. Before then, nobody was really, it was just the gay thing, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But once he said it, now that it brought it to the forefront, everybody started to be aware of it. Same thing when they, you know, came out with these stats of, hey, you know, most of these guys are not in good shape once they retire. Okay, now that I know that, what do we do with it? And I think more guys just became more aware um, of it and because of that became smarter mm-hmm. about, about you know, okay, I only got three years, if I make it three years. Yeah. And then if I do get to five years, you know, what am I gonna do with that? Oh, hell, I've been here eight years. Let You know, let me really create something for myself now. So I just think it, it was just more awareness and with awareness um, becomes, you know, you, you could just do more because you know more and you're more aware. Do you help out with any athletes today? I don't. Um, I never really went back into that, into that world. Um, I was NFL alumni president for a few, for a few, um, for a few years, but that's about it. Um, just never really, even as a financial advisor, people say, "Oh, you work, got to work with athletes." I, I never work with athletes. Um, it's not, it's not something that I'm, I'm against. It's just that world is such a different world than who I am as just like a regular person. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I just didn't, <laughs> just didn't ever get back into it. Yeah. Same. And, and you know, like you said, you just not even like um, like a younger guy. Maybe like if you if you were looking to give some advice or they needed like a mentor or nothing like that. Maybe your alma mater. If he reached out to you or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, they reached out to me. Obviously, I, I would do it. Um, it's just that I'm not actively trying to penetrate penetrate into into that world. Right. Um, yeah. Any anybody come ask me for advice, mentorship. I'm all I'm all for it because I want to see all those guys succeed. Right. Um, so yeah, if, if I could help out in any way, I'm, I'm there. I just had, 
a high school coach that I coach with <laughs> just asked me to speak to as a high school team. Set it up. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about, we're starting to wind down now. Tell us a little bit about philanthropy work, stuff you do like that. I, I was reading something, uh, I think it's called Awareness Ties. Mm-hmm. You did, where you were, you had wore, I think you, you lost your mother to breast cancer, right? I'm, yes. Yeah, sorry to hear that. But, um, and then I, I'm, from reading this correctly, you wore a pink tie every day for a year after that, and then you tried to wear something pink every Tuesday after that? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I started wearing a pink tie whenever I wore a tie. But that could be kind of impractical. <laughs> so I had to come up with something else uh, that I could do that uh, was practical. My mom passed on a Tuesday, so well, okay, I'll just start wearing pink shirts every Tuesday, and I got a bunch of pink shirts made. Um, and yeah, every Tuesday I started wearing um, my pink, and then people started noticing, and it became like a, a mini movement. Uh, pink Tuesdays, and then with awareness ties, uh, man, I was. I was um, fortunate to be on the forefront of that where they were looking for ambassadors for causes. And I'm not sure how they heard about me, but they reached out and, and asked me that I want to be an ambassador for, for cancer. And um, I became the ambassador for, um, I don't know if it's, yeah, I think it's cancer, not just breast cancer. Um, but that's a, that's an amazing organization. And they're growing like leaps and bounds. Um, uh, Allie and Jack, I mean, two, extraordinary people with, with a great vision and a great work ethic. And I believe that awareness ties is going to be, as soon as we come out of this pandemic, one of the probably the better known um, organizations um, in the next three, five years, just because all of the work that they're doing now and all of the people that they got behind it, they got so many celebrities and because it just makes sense. You know, everybody has has a cause and, and they're supporting all of these, I think over 30 something causes right now. And they tie them all together as one. Right. And um, man, it's, 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 I just believe it's a powerful statement that, that they're making. Um, it's like every day on, on Instagram, I get some type of uh, something from them that I always have to go on and like. And I think out of, Anybody who I follow, their stuff pop up the most out of anybody's. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, they're just making a huge impact um, with what they're doing. Are you and you still do some stuff with them too to this day? Or um, we're not doing anything right now because of the pandemic. Right. We did have a um, Pink Tuesday party that was planned for this summer. Obviously, it had to be canceled. Um, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get back to doing something, um, once we, once we can. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then also, I, I'm not sure, are you, are you still involved with the 88 ways youth organization? No, we disbanded that back in 2014. So I, I created that, uh, oh man, maybe 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, but once, uh, no, it was earlier than that, but once I got out of the NFL and, um, it became like a job <laughs> and I got into it to not have a second job. Um, I just wanted to impact the students because it was a mentor, a mentor program where we went to the schools. And at the time I'm, I'm trying to figure out my second career and I couldn't, I couldn't handle both. So we stopped that um, in 2014, but man, while, while it was running, I mean, we had a great impact on a lot of people. Um, back home in Florida and here in Chicago, 
um, but now is Desmond Clark Foundation, where I support um, American Cancer Society and the one program that they have, uh, Road to Recovery, which gets uh, cancer uh, survivors who are, you know, going back and forth to their appointments for treatments, getting them back and forth to their appointments, people who can't afford or don't have access to transportation. Right. That's great. Yeah. Awesome, man. So anything else you're looking to do? Any other ventures in the future? <laughs> no, nah, man, I got my hands full right now. I'm trying to be a <laughs> mini Gary B. Um, I just did my first video training um, course out of Vegas last week, two weeks ago. Um, doing all the speaking stuff. As soon as we can get back out and start getting in front of people, like got the, the videographer ready to go, got the content creator, uh, content creator ready to go, uh, who guy who helped me write my post. And, um, but we, we kind of just stuck in this kind of zone where we, we can't get out and do the stuff that, that we want to do. So just yeah. waiting on, waiting on um, the good man upstairs to say, okay, pandemic over. <laughs> and now we could get back to real live action. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. You got all that. That's how you, that's, that's how you're going to build, you know, build that brand and then all your social media pages up with that kind of content you put out there. So um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Good for you. If you need any help with that, we got you. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> generation revolves around social media. So yeah. hey, I, I, I told you, I, if, you, if, if you I call you, I don't want to hear you stuttering. Oh, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. Um, <laughs> because once, 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 is, once we're ready to go, you know, that's, that's going to be something that I'm highly focused on. I, was, I think I told you we were on the phone too, if, you know, when it comes to, you have that content, you want to boost it out there and maybe put some money behind it. So it reaches more people or however you want to target people and stuff like that. I think I had a, I talk, spoke to you about it, but let me know, man, I can help you out with that stuff or at least kind of show you how to do it. And then, okay. you know, you do it from there, but yeah, I'd be more than happy to help with that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, I uh, appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you, uh, you know, giving us the time. It's been fun. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. When, when are you planning that, that book to be done or released? My book? Yeah. My book is already out. Oh, it's out? Yeah. Yeah, we released that on April 20th. Okay, so it's um, this, this year. Yeah. Hold on. Yeah. There we go, right here. Okay. There we okay. go. Principles of winning. That's all right. Cool. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, so that's that's already out, and that's that's the plat like that's my platform, principles of winning. Um, that that I, you know, cater everything to. Cool. What was it like so, writing your own book? You know, I um, this question to <laughs> any of our guests. I, I didn't sit. I didn't sit down and literally write the book. I had a ghostwriter. Okay. So it was a series of interviews back and forth with him first sitting, all right, what is this book gonna be about? Who are we targeting? And, and breaking down all, all of that, once we got a clear focus of what we were trying to accomplish, then we started putting together the outline for the book. And once we got the outline done, now we just filled that, the outline in with content. And the way we did that is, all right, so this week we're talking about uh, principle one, all you have is your name and your word. and I come in, I just start talking. He started asking me questions. We're recording the whole thing and he's taking notes and he goes back and takes all, everything that I said and then just put it in written form. Um, but you gotta have a really good person 
the, the thing that he did the best is he took himself out of the equation and put himself in my shoes. And when I say that, that's my voice in there. Like I was amazed that like, all right, I know he's writing that, but that's exactly what I was trying to say. That's the, that's the point that I was trying to get at in the way that he wrote it um, was probably even better than I was saying it. So, um, and it takes a talented person to do that. So that was the process, uh, a bunch of one hour interviews just talking about the different things that we had outlined within the book. Interesting. Awesome. Never knew yeah. that. I never asked that question before. <laughs> and then he would, he would write the chapter, send it to me. I would edit and then send it back to him. And then he would send it back to me. And then we would just keep going back and forth like that until we got it to, you know, each chapter where we wanted it to be. Cool. Interesting. That's awesome. Yeah. We got we to gotta see a documentary of the Super Bowl season. Huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to yeah. release that footage from that training yeah. camp. I got it. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, I got it. Um, <laughs> I just got to find it. <laughs> uh, there you go. That's, that's a new project. <laughs> but all right, man, I uh, appreciate your time. I wish you the best of luck with everything going forward. All right, fellas, y'all have a good baby, won't you meet me by the beam? Too early, maybe later you could show me things. You know what it is whenever I visit Windy City. She blowing me kisses, no. 30 degrees, way too cold, so hold me tight. Will I see you at the show tonight? Will I see you at the show tonight? Truck to the plane, to the truck, truck to the hotel lobby Me, I go through underground garages, presidential suite on deposit Elevator up to the room, shower up and then we hit the club Touchdown, gotta see what's up, area code in my phone What numbers do I still have? Thank you for listening to Believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show And giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.